Tonight's scripture reading will come from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 27. Ephesians 5, 23 through 27. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Some are at camp, and we pray that they'll have a great week. I know Jared's been on the road for about a month now. He's been back and forth, different places, and I suspect that when it's all said and done, he will have had a very, very busy summer. And so we want to pray for our young folks as they're away at camp. It's always a great time for them, and a lot of good comes forth from the time that they, they have to spend with one another. And we're very, very grateful, very proud of our young folks. Next week, as was mentioned a moment ago, we have our VBS. And we want to encourage everyone to be a part of that. If you have the opportunity uh, to be a part of that, we'd love to have you. If you want to work in some capacity, I know that those who are responsible for VBS this year would be more than happy to have you take part in that work. Tonight I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 27, as we think about the glorious church. It is a tremendous privilege to be a member of the church, to be a part of the redeemed, the saved, the cleansed. In the book of Ephesians, Paul spends a lot of time talking about the church. It is a divine institution one of three divine institutions, the other two being the home and the civil government. There are a lot of folks that misunderstand the importance of the church. There are a lot of people that do not understand the significance of what it means to be a member of the church. And yet in looking to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul stresses the importance of this great institution. I want to begin tonight by talking about the fact that the saved are a part of this glorious institution that we call the church. Paul said in Ephesians 5 verse 23 that Christ is the Savior of the body. Now, as we think about the person who saves, ultimately that would be Christ, wouldn't it? Paul said that Jesus is the Savior of the body. In Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 7, Paul said, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Through Jesus Christ, we enjoy redemption to God, or we have been redeemed by Almighty God. Jesus was the agent by which mankind enjoys redemption, that is, freedom from sin. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, 
that we have not been redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold, but rather we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Not only is Jesus the one who has redeemed us, but the Bible tells us that he is the one who has reconciled us to God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul tells us that Christ has reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. Now those that would say the church is really not an important factor in salvation need to reread what Paul said in Ephesians 2, verse 16. Because according to Paul, the reconciled are in the one body. That is, they're in the church. They are a part of the ecclesia, that is, the community of the saved. The word ecclesia means the called out. We have, as Peter said, been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And the Bible talks about the significance of the blood of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus that we have the hope of forgiveness, the cleansing from all sin. John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 5, and then to be reconciled in the one body. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God was the architect of the redemptive plan. The Bible really spells out God's redemptive plan. It is a book that outlines to the human family God's great love, mercy, and grace. His desire that people would enjoy fellowship with him. Fellowship that has been breached because of sin and unrighteousness. And so to be a part of the church is to be a part of the redeemed. To be a part of the church is to be a part of those who have been reconciled unto Almighty God. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see very quickly as we think about, first, the person who saves is Christ. The place where he saves, saves is the church. Listen again to what Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 23. Paul said, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, somebody might ask the question, what is the body? Is there a biblical definition of the body? In Ephesians 1, Paul said he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The body is the church. And the Bible says that the saved are in the church. That is, those who have been redeemed, those who have been reconciled unto Almighty God. In Colossians 1, verse 18, Paul would say he is the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The word beginning in Colossians 1, 18 underscores Christ as the active cause, the agent by which the church came into being. Jesus himself was the one who promised to build the church. He did build it. He purchased it with his own blood, according to Acts chapter 20. Verse 28. Now there are some things that maybe we would be well served to consider in light of the fact that the place where God saves is the church. 
Because you see, there are a lot of folks that misunderstand this in the religious world. What we want to do is point people to what God says in His Word. Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So, by way of memory or by way of remembering maybe this point, I want to just begin in a very simplistic way. And as we think about the saved being a part of the church, I want to begin by talking about the Bible. How important is God's Word in the redemptive plan? Well, Paul said, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. God's Word is what brings about faith, doesn't it? You remember in Acts chapter 8, at verse 5, the Bible says that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. As a result of preaching the Word, those people in Samaria had the opportunity to develop faith in Almighty God. God's Word is that foundational factor in the redemptive plan. Without truth, without God's Word, men and women cannot have faith. Now, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. So, first there is the Bible. And the Bible is what leads to faith or belief. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. So we understand that the Word of God, that is the Bible, the book that we call the Sacred Scriptures, instills faith in people. That faith, once developed, leads to belief and obedience to the gospel, doesn't it? So you have the Bible, and then you have belief. And then thirdly, you have baptism into Christ. When we talk about obeying the gospel of Christ, by way of just, well, in a generic way, what we're talking about is faith in Christ, repentance of sin, confession of the name of Christ, and then immersion in water. When people are baptized into Jesus Christ, they enjoy the forgiveness of sins. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, those people that were assembled on Pentecost Day, after having been pricked in their hearts, they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And here's what Peter said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That is, for the forgiveness of sins. Paul said he was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. Now listen to what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now I want to ask you a question. Who am I to come along and tell people they don't have to be baptized into Christ? Who am I to tell people that baptism is unimportant? That it is an outward sign of an inward faith? That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Paul said. No, the Bible says that baptism is for the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of sins. Now, when people are baptized into Christ, after having demonstrated faith in the Lord and repentance, they contact the blood of Christ. So you have the Bible, you have belief, you have baptism, and then you have the blood of Christ. What is it that saves us from sin? The blood of Jesus. How do we appropriate that blood? By being baptized into Christ. 
The only way that we can contact the blood of Jesus is to go where it was shed. Where was it shed? In death, John 19, 34. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Well, why be baptized into Christ? Because that's where salvation is, Mark 16, 16. That's where the remission of sins is, Acts 2, 38. That's where the washing away of sins is, Acts chapter 22, verse 16. So we contact the blood of Jesus. And then fifthly, after having been baptized into Christ, God puts us in the one body. How do I know that? Well, here's what the Bible says. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus. Why? For the remission of sins. Some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on Pentecost Day. Verse 47 says in Acts chapter 2, the Lord added to the saved, to the church, daily those that were being saved. In other words, those who obeyed the gospel, God put them in the one body. They were delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's what Paul said in Colossians 1 verse 13. So we're in the one body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13, listen to what Paul said. By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. Well, who adds us to the body? Jesus does or God does. Acts 2, 47. Why do we need to be baptized? Number one, to enjoy forgiveness of sins. Number two, to be a part of the church. Now think about those in the world today that say, you don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. You can have a relationship with God, with Jesus, without being a part of any formal organization known as a church. That's not what the Bible says. Listen again to what Paul said. Verse 23, and he is the Savior of the body. That's a quotation. That's not my interpretation. That is a quotation. And God said that those who are saved are in the body. Well, somebody asked the question, how many bodies are there? In Ephesians 4, verse 4, Paul said, There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. So there's only one body. What's the one body? The church, Ephesians 1, and 23. Who's in the one body? Those that have been redeemed, those who have been reconciled, those who have obeyed the gospel, those that have rendered obedience to the command set forth in Scripture. Now there are a lot of people, as I said a moment ago, that misunderstand the importance of the church. They misunderstand God's redemptive plan of salvation. In John chapter 3, Jesus said in verse 3 to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5 he said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Through the teaching of the Spirit, that is God's Word, we learn about the redemptive plan of God, the plan of salvation. We come to understand that we're in sin, we need a Savior, and we obey the gospel. Well, what do we do? We believe in Jesus as the Son of God, we repent of our sins, we confess His name before others, and we're immersed in a watery grave of baptism. When are we saved? When we're baptized into Christ, preceded by faith, repentance, and confession. And then we're instructed to be faithful until death. So, first, the saved are in the church. That is the glorious church. Secondly, the submissive are in the glorious church. Listen now to what Paul said in verse 24. 
Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, Paul here uses an analogy showing the relationship between Christ and the church. The relationship he pictures, the husband and wife. Paul here reveals unto us and to all people that the head of the church is Christ. Paul is saying there is one head. The word head here is a metaphor. It carries with it the idea of that which is chief, supreme, prominent. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. Well, somebody says, somebody asks the question, how many heads are there? There's just one head and there's just one body. The Bible tells us there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling. Ephesians 4, 4. Christ is the head of that one body. Now, here's something very important that Paul points out. We as members of the body have the responsibility of honoring the head, submitting to the head, following the head the head. The word submit as used by Paul in Ephesians 5 verse 24. Some translations may say subject or subject. The word is a military term. It's a Greek military term. It carries with it the idea of troops that are arranged in order under a leader. In this case, what Paul is saying is that the church, the body, takes its cue, takes its lead from the head. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the human body, comparing it to the church. And he talks about how the church is one body, but it has many members. Now think about your body for a minute. Every part of your body operates under the direction of your head, doesn't it? My hand doesn't tell my head what to do. My leg doesn't tell my head what to do. But rather, my head, my brain, tells my body parts what to do or what not to do. By the same token, Jesus Christ as the head instructs the church, his body, on what to do. Now, here's the question that sometimes people have difficulty understanding. If God the Son is in heaven and we're on earth and we are the body and He is the head, how are we going to take instruction? How can we know what to do, when to do it, how to do it? God's Word. Did you know that Jesus as the head regulates the life of the body? Jesus Christ is the one that determines the parameters of how we live and move and have our being, to borrow the words of Paul. Think for a minute about the body, the church. Is it not the case that when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that he said, 
if I tarry long, that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Paul, in writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, was saying that God's word regulates the behavior, the conduct of the church. We have his inspired word to instruct us on how to operate. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts along these lines. By way of church government, in 1 in Timothy chapter 3, the local congregation is overseen by a plurality of men that meet the qualifications set forth in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. They're called elders, bishops, pastors, overseers. Those terms are synonymous. The overseers have the responsibility of overseeing the flock, ensuring that the church is well fed. That is, the church has to be taught what God has set forth in the scriptures. In chapter 2, Paul talks about the role of women in the church. He also talks about their role in the home. And while women have responsibilities in the church, for example, in Titus chapter 2, Paul said that the aged, the, the mature women, are to teach the younger women. But in terms of the church, there are some folks that are saying, well, what about a woman serving as a preacher, a teacher in a mixed assembly? What about a woman leading prayer, serving on the Lord's table? I mean, what's wrong with that? They have a lot of ability. I would freely grant they have a lot of ability. But we're not talking about ability. We're talking about authority. And Paul said, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, and then Eve. I did a Google search this past week, and it was amazing to me the number of congregations of our people that are now using women in a more expanded role. What really set me to looking into this whole matter, a few days ago, someone came into my office and talked to me about a congregation in our city or in the Memphis area dealing with this very issue. So I went to their website and they talked about how they had been studying this subject for the past 12 to 14 months, maybe 18 months. I even watched a taped sermon of the preacher who talked about the woman's role in church. And the bottom line is they are going to use women in an expanded way in worship to God. Their elders have deemed that to be the appropriate thing to do. Please don't misunderstand me. Elders do not have the authority they do not have the authority to trump what Paul said. What we're talking about is not a cultural thing. When Paul went back to creation, 
and said Adam was first formed and then Eve. That settled the matter. The topic of a woman being used in the public assembly, that issue has been settled a long, long time ago. I don't know what elders have been reading, and I don't know what some preachers have been reading, but they have not been reading the Word of God. Now, we talk about the conduct of the church and how Jesus regulates the behavior of the church, the one body. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that we have to answer to one day. I would freely grant that elders have, they have authority, but in terms of usurping the authority of Scripture, they have no authority, nor does a preacher. I don't have the right, nor do I have the authority to allow a woman to preach from the pulpit, to preach in a mixed assembly, to lead public prayer, to wait on the Lord's table, to serve as an elder. I don't have that kind of authority, and no one else does either. And when congregations begin veering away from what God in His Word has said, they're not the New Testament church that I read about. Now the Bible says there's one body and there's one head. The body takes its lead from the head. We either submit to what God has said or we do it our own way. Think about it this way. I talked about the church and the government of the church. If I went out and established a church, and let's just say that I want to call it the Hickson Church. Well, if I establish a church and call it the Hickson Church, you know what? I can order it any way I want to do it. I can do things the way I want to do it. Why? Because it's my church. I'm not saying it's the right church, but I'm saying I established it, I built it, it's my church, I'll do it the way I want to do it. But now if we talk about God's church, that's something different. When we talk about establishing the Lord's church, that's a lot different. I don't have any authority to deviate from what the Bible has to say. I don't have any authority to tell people that there's some other way to get into Christ other than obedience to the gospel. I don't have any authority to tell somebody you can worship God in a way other than what's revealed in Scripture. I don't have any authority to set up the government of the church any way other than what Paul has set forth and what the Bible has set forth in Scripture. Why? Because it was settled a long time ago. You know, there was a time when churches of Christ were known as people of the book. We believed the Bible. We practiced the Bible. We sought to uphold the Bible. There are a lot of churches I understand they've got the name out on the sign that says Church of Christ. They're not the Church of Christ that I read about in Scripture. What makes the church, Christ church, is submitting to this word that we call the Bible. I want you to think about it for a minute. Burger King says, have it your way. God says, do it my way. Go back to the Old Testament. Did God ever give people the latitude to worship as they pleased, to do as they pleased, to act as they pleased? What about today? Does God give us the latitude to just worship as we see fit? To 
become a part of, quote, unquote, his body any way we see fit? To organize the church as we see fit? The answer is no. The answer is no, no, no. Listen again to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Prove all things. Hold fast what is good. Who are the, gatekeep who are the gatekeepers of the church? The elders are, aren't they? If elders are men of the book, they'll hold fast to this book. Somebody tries to teach something, somebody tries to bring something in that does not meet the litmus test of thus saith the Lord, what happens? We don't do that here. Not only do we not do that here, it's not going to be done here. Why? Because we're talking about truth. Truth is what sets people free. So we have to be submissive to the head. That's true collectively of the body. It's also true individually in the life of every believer. When I became a Christian, I said, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the leader of my life. We talk about Jesus being Lord. That means He is the ruler, the leader in my life and in your life if you're a New Testament Christian. So I submit to Him. The Bible says He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Along those same lines, listen now to what Paul says in verses 25 through 27. Our time is short. You know what? Since our time is almost gone, I think I'm going to stop here and pick up next week. Because there's some things that need to be said. And it might be the case that there are some people that aren't here tonight that will be here next week and they need to hear what I have to say. Not because I said it, but because God said it. I want you to understand that if you're a part of the church, you're a part of a glorious church. You're blessed. And the beauty of being a member of the church is that one day we'll all be together in heaven by living faithfully. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a part of the body of Christ. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. Could I encourage you to come to Christ believing that He is the Son of God? Why not renounce a life of sin, come to Christ, be baptized into Christ, enjoy the forgiveness of your sins, go home tonight with the peace that passes all understanding. Enjoy the peace of God in your life. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, I want to encourage you to come home to Christ. I want you to understand that God, God has cast His vote for you. It's up to you to decide whether or not you'll come home to Him. The Bible says confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing?